Life Audio. This is Empowering Homeschool Conversations. We want families to come here and gain insightful strategies that empower them to successfully teach diverse learners at home. Hosted by founder and CEO of Sped Homeschool, Peggy Ployer. Our goal is that these powerful weekly conversations will boost your confidence to cultivate the best at-home learning environment for your student. For more homeschool resources, go to spedhomeschool.com. You're listening to Empowering Homeschool Conversations with Peggy Ployer. We'll start the conversation with Peggy and her guests next. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. This is Empowering Homeschool Conversations, provided by Sped Homeschool, a nonprofit that empowers families to home educate diverse learners. To learn more, visit spedhomeschool.com. Here's Peggy Ployer. Today we're going to talk about financial college planning strategies with special guest Brad Baldridge. Welcome, Brad. Glad to have you on the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, this is going to be a great topic as we are wrapping up a month of talking about just alternative pathways that students take. We've, we've concentrated a little bit on college, non-college, um, various um, avenues students may take. And so some of you may not even have a college student or a student ready for college yet, but this might be um, something that you have in the back of your mind wondering, how do we start planning um, financially 
for for this possibility of college that's out in the future. Maybe it's short term, maybe it's long term. And, and Brad is here to, to kind of help us navigate through that. And as I told Brad ahead of time, this is not my specialty. He named off already an acronym that I had no idea what it was. So um, so Brad, I'm, I'm super excited for you to, to bring some clarity, some um, and and just some knowledge into the space to to ease um, questions as well as anxieties maybe that parents have about college planning. So welcome and thank you for sharing with us. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I I work a lot with parents trying to figure out the whole college challenge, and I think it has become right. a bigger challenge. As- oh, absolutely. You know, that's kind of a perfect storm. The price of college keeps going up and yeah, you know, for many families, there's other challenges that they're trying to deal with. And of course, most parents of high school age kids that are trying to figure out college are really busy. And then obviously your group of parents may also have additional challenges around, um, you know, again, just the special needs and the extra time and all that type of thing. Right. Um, exactly. One way to think about it is, you know, one way to think about it is the college planning. There's things that everybody has to do, you know, mm-hmm. visiting schools and figuring out how you're going to pay for it and all that kind of stuff. And right. then there's various groups that have to do something extra. Special needs is one of those groups where, okay, you have a special need, whatever that might mean. So you need to have handicap accessible or special learning situations right. or some sort of help potentially. And mm-hmm. it could be obviously something very severe, severe, like we, we got to get around a college campus in a wheelchair. Right. If a college campus was built a hundred years ago or 200 years ago, as some of Oh, absolutely. Have, yes. You know, uh-huh. they, they may not be as friendly as something that's been updated in modern. And again, mm-hmm. all colleges have rules around that, but in general, some are better than others at certain things. Absolutely. Figuring that out and picking the right one is a challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there there's a lot of extra extra things to be to be thinking about and planning for. And um, and that's that's definitely on our radar, too. I know we're going to talk a lot about about the financial side of of planning and um, and we'll kind of build in a little bit of, of unique questions for Brad too, that I know that our community is probably wondering about. But if you're watching live and I see we have viewers popping on live and you have specific questions related to your own circumstance, make sure that you put those in the feed so we can address those. And so I can make sure that Brad um, can answer them while we're um, live with you. We might as well, um, since you... Um, you have his captive audience right now. You're his captive audience right now. Um, so, so as we're just getting started out, I thought I would um, just let the viewers get to know a little bit about you and um, just financial planning for college. You know, and 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 being passionate about that. How how did you kind of work yourself into this this field? And is it was it just kind of a general migration doing financial planning and then working a lot with parents or did you find that you just kind of really resonated with, with this situation with families and this need to plan um, for, for college? Right. Yeah. So I, you know, became a financial advisor in the nineties and then about five or 10 years in. So about 2005 or so, 
Um, I was introduced to the college planning concept and got some training and really enjoyed it and just mm. kind of started focusing on it more and more, um, realizing that a lot of my clients, you know, there's lots of things you can do to help with college, but most people don't understand how it works and therefore they don't do it. Got it. Yeah. So, you know, there's, a again, lots of areas. Some of them are, you know, truly financial planning, right? Building a budget that includes college in the budget. Right. And that's, <laughs> but that's part of it, right? And that's not really mm -hmm. anything specific college related. You do the same thing for retirement and everything else. But there's also very specific tax breaks, as an example, that are associated with college that, you know, take advantage of them or right. different ways to save and invest or, hmm. again, negotiating with the schools or understanding need-based aid and merit aid and scholarships and loans. And there's a lot of moving parts and it can get very complicated. Hmm. And another interesting idea is that every time the government gets involved and says, oh, well, here's a group that needs help. So let's put a program together for this group. Or oh, that group, yeah. Or these, these, right. Well, now all of a sudden, and it happens at the federal level and the state level. Ah, okay. So depending on what state you live in, you may have something that's targeted and it's need-based. So for families that look like this, other states may have a program that's merit-based. So if you have strong grades, they want to help you. Some okay. states have both and some states hmm. have almost nothing. So it's kind of a patchwork that right. um, a lot of families are dealing with. And I've... You know, on my podcast, I'm just starting to interview some of these states and hmm. talk to these administrators about what they offer. And and I'm realizing even as an expert, it's hard for me to understand wow. all the interworkings of how they work. I can't imagine what it's like for the general parent. Right. But again, they're out there. There's ways you can get help. You just have to be aware that you could go get some help and your state does offer something. Well, that's really good to know. Absolutely. Yeah, it makes me think about the grant writing process and just how overwhelming that that whole thing is as a nonprofit. And um, and then, you know, we have busy parents who have, you know, they're juggling kids and, and all these other things. And, you know, to just add one more thing on top and to, to be able to consult an expert who, you know, is willing to do that research for you is extremely, extremely helpful. Um because like you said, it's, it's probably changing a lot. Now, um, one of the questions we had, and it was from two separate um, people, one, one asked just, how do I start? How do I start saving for college? Um, and another one even said, um, I'm late to save, um, given that I only have four years to start saving. What does that look like um, if our child is going to a state school? So I guess my, my first question you know, for you is, how do you start? And then after, you know, if, if it's a shorter long-term game, how is it different? Right. Exactly. So I think to start with, let's, cause those, you know, those two people might be substantially different. And one mm -hmm. of the big pieces of that puzzle is what I call early stage versus late stage planning. Mm. So if you say you only have four years, maybe you've got a freshman, and that's kind of, you're right on that edge between early and late. So okay. early stage planning is, all right, I've got a two-year-old, a four-year-old, someone in middle school, or mm -hmm. hey, we're pregnant. All right. Any of those qualify as early stage, which is okay. someday we're going to have college expenses, hopefully, mm -hmm. or 
should we do something to be prepared? Should we save and invest? Should we right. build a budget a certain way? What what can we do to include education mm-hmm. on top of all our other financial goals? Got it. Once you get to be freshman in high school and certainly sophomore, junior, senior in high school, well, now college is real. Now yeah. you're going from, we you know, let's set aside some money or not to how are we going to do all this? What college are we going to attend? Are we going to visit colleges? Which ones? How does need-based aid work? How does merit aid work? Right. There's loans. There's the state programs, the federal programs. Your colleges themselves offer scholarships and grants. And it, now you're kind of in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. And you may have done a great job early stage, right? You might have a big pile of money. You saved up a whole bunch. So you think you have it covered, but you still have to figure out how to execute from there. Even if right. you've got a big amount of money, you can just pay for it. You still got to choose a college and figure out what's a good fit and all that kind of stuff. And then of course, most people don't have a pile big enough that they can just say any college, any price. Right. They may have a certain mm-hmm. budget they're trying to stay within and that type of thing. So that's kind of the, the big picture. After a word from our sponsor, we'll dive back into this conversation. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of the Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. This is Empowering Homeschool Conversations, provided by Sped Homeschool. Go to spedhomeschool.com to get resources and support for teaching your unique learner at home. Let's talk about the question that had some specifics where she says, I only have four years to start saving and I'm, we're looking at a state school. Right. So I don't know what state you're in. Uh, on my website, we have cost of colleges by state. So you literally can okay. go look this up on our website. Um, if you go to the resources tab, but the average across the country is about 27,000 is the total cost of the average state school. Okay. And that is per year. So some people will be shocked by that because they might have spent that all four of their years when they were a kid. (laughs) Or or half of that for all four years, I think, back when I went to college. (laughs) Exactly. So, and that, but that 27,000 is the what we call the total cost or the cost of attendance. That's an official term that the government and the colleges use. So cost of attendance is tuition, room and board, books, fees, beer and pizza. It's the whole cost of a typical college student. Okay. And it includes some personal expenses for dates and cell phone. And it includes travel back and forth to college. Mm -hmm. And then the big ones that, you know, again, your dorm, your meal plan, your tuition and fees, is all included mm-hmm. in that as well. Got so 
that's published, and that like I said, that average is about twenty seven thousand. Now the UC schools are you know thirty five, approaching forty in some cases, and you know Iowa and Nebraska and some of the low cost states might be more like twenty two or twenty four. Hence the twenty seven thousand average. So right, it's important you understand your state because there are more expensive states than others for sure. Um, yeah. So that's so, so that's our target now. When parents say, well, okay, well, we need 27,000 times four, that's 100,000. That seems very insurmountable, especially right. if you're saying, well, I have to save 100,000 in four years. That's 25,000 a year. That's right. just, that's 2,000 a month. We, we can't do that. And right. Everybody's budget is so do tight that. lately. Yes. Uh huh. Right. Um, so then you start thinking about, well, how much are parents going to pay compared to the student? And right. then. As an example, most students can borrow 5500 in their own name as a freshman, 6500 as a sophomore, and 7500 as a junior and senior. Okay. So it's possible for students generally to borrow. And again, add that all up, that's like 27000 So they can borrow roughly one year in okay. their name and then pay it back when they graduate. Mm -hmm. On top of that, most students can work summers or weekends or, you know, during school or during summers or whatever, some combination. And if they could earn just the, you know, personal expenses and books and that kind of stuff, that takes 4,000 off the top okay. at most, you know, so if they could earn $4,000 and then they spend it and they pay for their own laundry mm -hmm. and they pay for their own pizza and they pay for their own living expenses and they pay for their own books. Right. And then mom and dad just covered what's left of the tuition. Now, all of a sudden, that 27000 is down to 17000 roughly. Okay. Mm -hmm. you know, between what they can borrow and what they can contribute, maybe they can average 10000 a year. Okay. And now, yeah. after that, I'm out of, you know, my bag is empty. There's no more tricks in there as far as bringing the cost down. So then <laughs> right. the next step is, how do we pay that efficiently? Mm-hmm. And some parents will can you know take it out of cash flow. They just say, well, well, we'll sign up for the payment plan. It'll be twelve hundred a month, and we'll just pay it. Okay. Or some families will say, well, we've already got twenty five thousand saved or fifty thousand saved. Now, in the question original question says we have zero. Mm -hmm. So right. if we need, and say in round figures, fifteen thousand times four years, if we need sixty thousand dollars, well, we can save while the student is in college. So we don't really have four oh, years. Okay. We don't have to have the whole pile of money day one. That's good. We can yes. save, you know, so we really have about eight years to do it. Okay. So $60,000 over eight years, you know, six, seven, a hundred dollars a month might get you there. Okay. Um, and then some families are like, well, that's too much. It's like, well, maybe <laughs> more goes to the children. There are loans to fill the gap. And, and again, a lot of families are saying, yeah, but that's just one of our kids. Right, exactly. Four, so all of a sudden, you got to multiply all those numbers by three. And, you know, there's a lot of families that can afford to pay for college. They just can't afford to pay for it in the six or eight years that the, all the kids are going to school all at once. Right. Yes. It, you know, it, it comes as a kind of a log jam. We have nobody in college for a long time. Uh -huh. And then the next six years, three kids go through and then we're done. <laughs> and then, yeah. You know, so for those families, you can kind of think of it as well, we're going to save and invest a little bit ahead of time. We'll do the best we can during college. We'll have to fill the gaps with loans and then pay back what we need to. 
and spread that cost over, you know, five or 10 years ahead of time and five or 10 years after it's done. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that's kind of the planning process. Okay. Now. So, yeah. So what I encourage families. To under- oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Let us know what you encourage them to do. <laughs> I'd love to hear. So I encourage families to really kind of think through that. But the other challenge is how much are we actually going to spend on school? So, again, in this question, they specified state school. So I was able to come up with a number, at least an average number. Right. right? The numbers change if you're going to the most expensive state schools at 35000 or if you're going to a low-cost state school at twenty five or twenty. Yes, exactly. Um, but generally speaking, there's going to be a gap between ten and twenty thousand dollars for most parents that they're going to need to fill per student. Again, do do students get a full ride and come up with a situation where they you know it costs the parents almost nothing? Yes, it does mm-hmm. happen. And I think that's where the planning comes in. That's not an opportunity for all students, but the right, right. students could say, you know, at these schools. I'm not, you know, I'm a really strong candidate. I have a shot at a full ride. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The challenge, I think, is for a lot of families, they don't understand what schools they are, right? If you take a really strong kid, let's say they can get into Notre Dame or um, or certainly really strong, the Ivy League or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Now those, you know, the high-end schools kind of march to their own drum and they do things differently. But it, a student might be able to go to one of those schools, but end up paying full price because they can just barely get accepted. Right. But if they instead go to, a, you know, a uh, just a basic private school that isn't necessarily, you know, at that top of the heap, mm-hmm. you know, a, a Concordia, there's many Concordias around or mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever it might be. And there's various levels. So there's um, some where they're going to be one cut above average, let's say. And then they're qualified for a $25,000 scholarship. Right. Or they might be two cuts of average, and they might actually be that student. Most colleges have, you know, between one and twenty or thirty, depending on the size of the school, where these school where the students pay zero tuition, and some of them zero tuition and zero room and board. Wow! And you know, they're typically the strongest candidates that mm-hmm. meet other goals, right? So they'll have a scholarship for a leader. They'll have a scholarship for minorities. They'll have a scholarship for an athlete, they'll have a scholarship for this and that, you know, they have all these different things. And a lot of times it's mm-hmm. because some wealthy person said in honor of my late wife, mm-hmm. he was a nurse. So I want to give a nursing student a full ride every year. Right. And here's, you know, whatever it is, 25 million to cover the cost in perpetuity. And now every year that college says, if we can give a student a full ride, then we get the money. Otherwise, it sits there waiting for. So they're right. very incentivized to find a student that they can give that scholarship to. Oh, I never knew how that worked. Yes. That's, that, you know. Yeah. So if that exists and you happen to be a nursing student, that might be a good school to choose, especially if you're going to be the type of being running for that type of scholarship. Absolutely. But that's a lot of legwork for a lot of families to really understand. And uh, of course, the average public, or excuse me, average private school is about 56,000 right now. Okay. But there's a much wider gap there it's between 40 and 85,000 per year. Wow. So that's again, shocking to a lot of people that Harvard is 82,000 a year. Um, wow. 
which is a really big number. Yes. But a lot of people don't pay. The other important important fact is at the average private school, the average scholarship is about 20,000 right now. Okay. So for a lot of families, if the average is 50, but their scholarships, it brings it down to 30. Okay. So it's not much over the state average then at that point. Exactly. So especially if you're at a more expensive state school, a lot of times the private schools look similar. Okay. Well, that's, that's good to know. Cause I think sometimes just based on budget, a lot of families will say, well, that's out of the running. Only look at, you know, these colleges and instead to keep some options open that that may be financially a possibility. Right. And I've, you know, there's a lot of myths out there. I've had people come to me and say, we can't look at those schools because their price tags way too high. We can't afford it. And the reality is those schools are very generous to your situation and you're very likely to get a lot of aid. You know, Stanford just announced that anybody whose income is under a hundred thousand dollars automatically gets zero tuition and zero room and board. They automatically get a free ride. If your family income is below a hundred thousand. Wow. And there's a couple asterisks of, you know, yeah. If you're a business owner and you cook the books, but you're worth multi-millions, maybe exactly. not you. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe not you, but the typical family. That right. Yeah. And that really does cover the majority of typical families. Right. So, yeah. Exactly. But the challenge there is it's nearly impossible to get accepted at Stanford. Yes. You know, they get lots and lots of applicants of essentially the rock stars of our students and and no matter how good you are, it's not clear that you're going to get accepted because it's more than just good stats too. And that's where right. I see a lot of people say, well, look at my fantastic stats and they didn't take me. And it's like, yeah, yep. you need fantastic stats for them to consider you. Right. But they, they have the same problems all colleges have mm-hmm. of that. They're trying to build a class that meets their needs. Right. So they need enough history majors and engineering majors and whatever majors that they have it on campus. Mm-hmm. They need enough leaders and followers. They need enough tuba players to run the marching band and the <laughs> exactly. symphony and the whatever. Mm-hmm. They need, you know, the young Democrats and the young Republicans. They need the soccer players and the, you know, and the list goes on and on. Right. Yep. So, we had a whole um, episode earlier this month about college admission and and how to really elaborate on your uniqueness, um, especially for our students, because colleges are looking for that right. to just, like you said, fill those different areas to make up the, the college population that they would like to, to create. So, right. so yeah, that's. And how does that translate to the financial side? Well, mm-hmm. if a college on their website advertises that, you know, we have kids from all 50 States and you live in Texas and all the Texas kids are graduating, all of a sudden they might be saying, you know, we got to go get some kids from Texas. So find the, the good candidates from Texas and give them a bigger scholarship so they come. Because we want to continue to say we have kids from all 50 states. So right. students from Texas are getting unusually large scholarships and they don't even know why, right? Because it's not like they're going to advertise looking for right. students from Texas because we want to give you scholarships. Hmm. It's a behind the scenes thing that happens. Wow. Um, yeah. So sometimes it is behind the scenes. On the flip side of that, a lot of these colleges also have scholarships available. You know, the one we were talking about, those full rides, often those are many will apply 
and two will win no matter how many apply. There's only two to be one. So right. that's the way it works. Hmm. But a lot of colleges also have what we call merit aid that says anybody that has a test score like this and grades like this automatically gets 10,000 off. And if you have better test scores and grades, you get 20,000 off. And then if you cross the highest line, we'll give you 30,000 off. And they'll put that right on their website. Okay. So you can look at that and say, oh, I'm likely to qualify for that. Hmm. Um, other colleges, they do that. They just don't put the, where, you know, where the exact parameters out there. They say we offer 10 and 20 and $30,000 scholarships, but they're a little vague about where the lines are. So if you were to ask a college admissions person, would they tell you, or is that more just, it's arbitrary? Yeah. Okay. They may tell you, they may not. So so sometimes (laughs) they, they know about where the lines are. Oh, but they want right. to be able to adjust them in case they get that, a lot of good sense. applicants or a lot of bad applicants. You know, yeah. so they want to be able to adjust it a little bit. So they don't want to. They don't want to make be promises pin, they can't keep. Pin down to that, yes, exactly. And they might might want a little flexibility. So, so yeah. So again, that's often where people start. So just understanding that process and saying, yeah, okay, that's well, very helpful. We can apply to these schools or those schools. But in the end. You're going to you know, look at your local state schools or out-of-state state schools or the elite privates or the regular privates or whatever it is. So you've got this list of schools. In the end, every one of them is going to cost something for most families. So it's like I can go to these schools for 20000 and these schools for 30000 and that school for 50000 Yeah. And then you can have to make that decision. And then from there, it's like if you're going to pay 20000 or 30000 and again, price is one piece of the puzzle. Yeah, you know, if you exactly. Look at, if you look at the cars we drive, we don't all drive the cheapest car. Lots of us will spend more because we're looking for value and we value different things. So yes. some of us value the minivan because we have a lot of kids and need the space. Some of us value <laughs> right. the sports car because we like to go fast. <laughs> some of us value whatever, right? So that's right. It's the same with college. It's you couldn't, you can it. take the lowest option, but here's the challenge. When you get to the end for a lot of families, it's, Here's the five schools I was accepted at. My favorite school is not the lowest cost. It would be great if that happens, right? If your favorite school is the lowest cost, great. Right. But for a lot of families, it's like the one I really like is $4,000 more than a school I hate. Well, then you might spend the $4,000. Right. But if like, I like both of these schools, you know, they're kind of similar. I like them both. This is one and this is two. If one is $12,000 a year more than two, I'll take two. Because it's not that much better, you know. Right. So sometimes the, it's they're close enough where the money doesn't matter, and sometimes they're not. Hmm. Right. And I think yeah, that's where just... parents need to talk ahead. Because... Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot more factors than just the financial piece, and I think sometimes we do. We as as parents, we're looking at the financial side and saying, "Whoa!" <laughs> but you know, you you have to take into consideration everything else that is coming with that package and um, the type of experience and and other things coming for your students and availability and and definitely cost is one factor and and it's been good to kind of just digest what you, what you've been talking about too with with all these these different things that these variables that I you know the that that cost is not the cost in right. the end there's there's so many other factors to that are involved so you know we talked a little bit about that that short-term planning what if somebody has a little more time 
to, to do that planning? What could they start when kids are younger? Right. Yeah. So there's a challenge there of when people say, well, I've got a two-year-old, should I say for college? And then they always say, but what if they don't go to college or what if this or what yes, if that? Yes. And that's and a big that's, question out of our community too. A lot of parents right, don't know. Exactly. And I think on the other side of that coin too is what if the system that we have today is completely different in the oh, future? Oh, that's a good question right? too. You can yes, base your absolutely. plans on now, and and education is changing a lot, especially for adult learners. Yeah, where you know, but that, so I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they kind of talked about that four year residential college is less than half of all college students already. Wow, really? So, so that online virtual type of schooling is really taking off. Well, no, right. and again, or it's people that are just online or they're they're going in person, but they're going to the local community college or they're going to the local right. college and they're just continuing a degree or working on a certificate. Oh, okay. Right? It's mm-hmm. not a four-year degree. They're just working on their certificate or their... Right. So, you know, and that's one of the buzzwords out there, you know, college for everybody, which I think is... It should mm-hmm. be education for everybody. College being one way to get the education, but there's yeah. others. Absolutely. Um, certainly when you start talking to the homeschool community, they get it, right? There's lots oh, of yeah. ways. Yeah, we, <laughs> we can do alternative schooling until the cows come home. Yes. <laughs> right. So there's lots of ways to do it. Um, for your residential, again, is here to stay. Mm-hmm. And a lot of parents, I think, say, I remember that time in my life and I'm one of them. It was a great time in my life. I want my kids to have that experience. And that's one of the reasons why it's getting so expensive is because a lot of parents will bend over backwards to make it happen. Right. So the colleges raise prices and you still come and they raise prices again and you still come. Well, why wouldn't they raise prices? I mean, right. just make it's easier for them than to trying to figure out how to be more efficient or cut budgets or whatever. If they can raise prices and you still come, great. Then problem solved. Yeah. With the pandemic, we stopped coming. So all of a sudden now, colleges have kind of hit the ceiling where some colleges now, when they raise their prices, which they still do, they also raise their scholarship. So their net price isn't going up. So if you're working with a financial advisor that says, you know, Harvard is 80,000 and it's been growing at 6% a year. So when your two-year-old is 18, it's going to cost you $2 million for college. That's unsustainable. It's not going to continue to go up. Right indefinitely. Um, it's good advice. Yes. It may go up, but again, looking at what happened in the last 20 years isn't necessarily what's going to happen in the next 20 years, for sure. Yeah, It's just really hard to tell what what will happen. Hmm. Um, but there's a lot changing. That being said, if you want to be prepared, for most families, what, ha- I mean, what I see a lot is a parent of a 17-year-old earning $200,000 a year coming to me and saying, I don't know how we're going to pay for college. The hmm. next meeting I'll have is with a family that earns a hundred thousand. And they're going to say college is expensive. I don't know how we're going to pay for it. Now, if I told that person earning a hundred thousand, you know, I just had a guy that earned 200,000 that can't afford to pay for college. And they say, well, what do you mean? He earns double what I earned. He has an extra hundred thousand dollars a year to pay for college and he can't figure it out. Right. <laughs> And the answer is no, he can't. Why? Because most families learn how to spend before they learn how to save and invest and meet all their other goals. Right. So as our, you know, if most families, if you say, well, what was your income 10 years ago? You'd say quite a bit less than what it is today. Right. 
and somehow we survived. Mm-hmm. But that's the reality, right? Is most people, as your income grows, your lifestyle grows, you know, we used to go to McDonald's and order whatever we want. And then we started going to Applebee's and order whatever we want. And then if we're doing really well, we go to the steakhouse and order whatever we want. Right. Now, our younger selves would be like, what? You go spend $400 for the two of you on dinner? That's crazy. And some of you listening said the exact same yep, thing. That's yep. crazy. <laughs> People do it quite regularly. Wow. Not everybody, obviously. And mm-hmm. we all have our, you know, an eye picking on dinner. You know, some right. people will spend crazy amounts of money on the kids. Yes. Right. Oh, they got involved in hockey and it was $8,000 for this traveling league. And then we had to go stay in hotels and support the team. And you add it all up and it was really expensive, but Mm -hmm. you know, only the best for my kids. Okay. Well then that's not much different than the dinner. It's just, it's just, yeah, we all spend where you allocate it. Yes, exactly. So the first concept I like to explain is if you're giving up the lake house to pay crazy amounts for college, well, that's a lifestyle decision, right? You can right. You're giving up big vacations for college. That's also fine. Mm-hmm. You've got the extra money. You can spend your extra money however you want. I'm, who's the judge? Right. We all, you know, spend our money in ways that other people wouldn't do it that way. Right. Um, yeah, it goes back again to what you were talking but about. But if you're going to blow up your retirement, yeah, exactly. But if it's going to blow up your retirement or make you, you know, go deeper in debt than you can handle and stress you out and then it's probably not the right way to go. I think that's one of the big differences for families is understanding where that is. Right. And then, you know, going back to the parent of a two-year-old and a newborn saying college is important to us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well then buy a smaller house and don't commit to $8,000 hockey until college is figured out because you right. might, you know, or another big one is that private high school at 25,000 a year is not going to magically make college less expensive. Yeah. They'll tell you that a lot of these high schools, right? They'll say our graduates all got $25,000 scholarships or $50,000 scholarships. And it's like, that's true, but they also went to $80,000 schools. So the net cost of those schools was still $50,000. Right. And if you'd gone to the public school, you probably would have gotten the same scholarship. Hmm. So, it's just that the public schools don't don't have the time or the bandwidth to add up all the scholarships that all their kids got. So they don't have that data for you. Plus, you really don't have to convince um, people to go to a public school. <laughs> In most areas, uh, uh, yeah. Exactly. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't send your kids to private high school. I sent one of my kids to private high school. It was a good fit for him and don't regret it a bit. But that's the, you know, again, part of the process of, well, just because you spend a lot on high school doesn't mean college is going to be low cost. And I've had a number of parents very frustrated by that of spend all this on high school. We still have to come up with even more for college. And right. yes, you do. And that, you know, that is what it is. Mm-hmm. And the same can be said with all kinds of things. But in the end, if you say education is a big piece of the puzzle, well, then you got to put it in as part of the puzzle, whether it's, and again, sometimes families are, you know, we've got that kid, we've got the newborn, we've got the two-year-old, and we've got the three-year-old, which was my life. There was a time when I had three kids under four. Wow, yeah. And my daycare bill was <laughs> 2000 a month. And this yeah. is yeah, 15 years ago. Right. Um, I can't imagine what it is today, but it can be very expensive. So a lot of families are saying that's all we can do is cover what we're doing now. 
we'll do college later. And it's like, okay, then that's fine. But then when later comes, you got to, got to make good on that. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, what I hear you saying is at some point it has to be included in the budget and whenever the budget allows for that and the value of that is seen as important, then that's when it gets worked in. And, right. and for everybody, it's going to be different. For Absolutely. Right. I mean, if you, I, I talk to a lot of people and they say, well, what are your goals? Well, our number one is retirement. Number two is education for the kids. And then you look at their budget and where all their money goes and it goes everywhere except retirement and education. Right. So, and again, I mean, that's just the reality and it's easy, you know, and it, it's easy to just live life that way. If something comes along and you just, you add it onto the pile and don't really think about it. And, uh, you know, that's where you are. Now, once you have the cash flow, you know, then you can decide, do, should I be saving it specifically for college or in general, just to have money that I could use for college or I could use it for something else in the future. And that's where now we're getting to some pretty deep financial planning. There's no right or wrong answer. That's yeah, that's a, a good question because I know some people invest and that that was the one question um, Paula asked about recommending um, types of, of different ways to invest it. Um, and I know there are specific ways that you can invest specifically for college and a lot of people are really confused about that. Could you just touch on what some of those options are that families have mm-hmm. um, and yeah. yeah, and what you just kind of describe them if so that we we have an understanding of of what options are out there. Right. Yeah. So there's a couple of different dedicated college savings plans. A lot of them offer you some tax breaks. A lot of them have penalties and interest and you know some of them allow you to invest aggressively, some of them allow you to invest however you want. So there's different opportunities there. And again that really has for most families that has to fit in with your overall financial planning, just like you have, you know, plans at work to help you with retirement, perhaps, right. or if you're self-employed, you've got self-employed options. So, you know, you got to kind of coordinate all that together. And some families are very aggressive and willing to take a lot of risk with the hopes of getting a lot of reward. Right. Other families are much more conservative and they're not willing to take as much risk. So you got to kind of piece that all together. Yeah. And that's, you know, kind of the general financial planning. And for a lot of families, I think, as you're rolling into college might be a good time to start thinking about, you know, getting a college advisor and or financial advisor. Right. Kind of start putting all the pieces together because for a lot of families, your income has grown quite a bit. You're approaching your peak earning years and you're starting to have substantial, hopefully some substantial savings and retirement assets. And right. um, Because what, you know, because college planning is retirement planning because if you don't spend it on college, you have it for retirement. Right. And uh, if you need it, you know, so again, in the ideal world, you do the math and you, you come up with a plan and say, well, I need to save 2000 a month for my retirement. and I need to save 1000 a month for college and we'll be able to meet all our goals. And hopefully you earn, you know, 10000 a month and you say, OK, well, that works because right. we can afford that. Where the rub comes in for a lot of families is when you do the math and say, well, I need to save 3000 a month, but I really can only afford 2000 a month. So now do I scale back one or the other or do I do something right. different? Or, um, And then sometimes it's, well, here's a couple 
places where maybe you're not buying the right types of insurance and you could save a few hundred a month or here or there or turning off Netflix because nobody's watching it anymore or whatever it is. Right. So all families have to go through some of those challenges. Um, and then, you know, then from there, it's again, it's just being more efficient. And I think that's where for a lot of families, if it's not your thing to study your financial life and figure out how to do it well, it might be something you want to outsource, just right. like changing the oil just in your like, car. Yep. And, and homeschooling. So yeah, we can even do that. Exactly, right? We talk about that a lot on our show. And it's it's about having that team uh, that can complement what you can and can't do. Um, and so it, it does, it makes your whole life efficient. And, and that's where a financial planner and my husband and I have had one ever since even before we were married. <laughs> he had one and I married into it. Um, so, so yeah, it's, um, you just have to surround yourself with people that can support you and your goals. And we found a financial planner, um, just to be the same way. So, so right. yes. And that, you know, and again, just so people are kind of aware and college planning is a specialty that a lot of financial planners don't understand. Hmm. It's just not their thing. They're working with, you know, millionaire retirees. That's their thing. Or they're working with business owners and that's, you know, so various financial planners have various specialties. Oh, that's good to know. Um, yes. Just kind of like so, lawyers too, with family, family law exactly. versus yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And everything that you were talking about, too, with with all the different merit based versus um, versus the need based and and all of that, that type of research. I mean, that's that's something a typical financial planner would not have any idea about um, when you ask them that they would just be able to tell you, you know, yes, invest in this CD, this mutual fund, you know, whatever (laughs) for for that. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I think that's right. And that's where the special specialization comes in. And, and again, I help families and lots of people I work with. We're also doing retirement planning and and the whole um, process, again, because it's all intertwined and it's hard to know where you draw the line. And, and other right. situations, I'm working with families that I really like my financial planner. He's doing a good job for retirement. I just need you to solve the college piece for us. And right. That works often as well. So it just really depends on, but I think that's another kind of challenge, right? If when it comes to your overall financial life, you know, you can ignore it and hope it goes away. You can deal with it yourself and do some sort of DIY type of thing where you do it on your own. And ideally then you learn and do it well. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Or you get involved with some sort of financial planner or take a course or whatever it is. I mean, I would use the analogy of if you're one of your kids came to you and said, I really want to learn how to play the piano. You could say, Oh, but I don't know how to play the piano. I guess I'll have to go learn how to play the piano so I can teach my kid how to play the piano. I mean, people don't think that way with piano. Some of our parents actually would (laughs) just kind of crazy, but, but most, yes, no, they would not. (laughs) Right. You usually come to mind of the little old lady on the street that'll teach the kid how to play the piano and stand over him with her little ruler in case they misbehave. (laughs) That's, you know, but that's again, that's the old way of doing it. Potentially there's, you can also do it online now, probably. Exactly. I know my son picked up guitar online somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, so I'm sure you can, or, and then maybe the student and the parent learns together by taking the same online lessons. Right. Um, 
and that's what's going on with education in general. Same with college, right? You can do it yeah. the way we've always done it, but there are some alternatives and they're becoming, you know, some work, some don't, some are better than others. Mm-hmm. But I think over the next 10 years, I think we'll, again, see more, more options and more challenges around that. Yeah. And I think that's where it goes back to what you were talking about earlier of when you're planning and and saving that this is also retirement savings. And it, you shouldn't think of it as just one bucket, um, that that it's probably a multi-purpose bucket that um, that you're saving for with an allocated amount towards college that you definitely don't want to dip into for for that retirement savings. And I think that mentally made a a really good picture for me. Um, So one thing that we talked about before we came on, you had said that um, the, the FAFSA was changing. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? So if parents are kind of aware of that, what change is happening and why should they be aware of that? Yes. So, High school juniors right now, so the class of 2024, they're the first group that's going to be using essentially the new FAFSA. So the FAFSA has been around for years and years. It's it's the application you fill out in order to apply for federal aid. Okay. Just about every college requires it. And it makes you eligible for the Pell Grant and oh yeah, mm-hmm. um, makes you eligible for work study and a couple of different student loans. So that $5,500 loan I mentioned earlier that all students have access to, well, that's part of the, you have to do the FAFSA in order to qualify for that loan. Okay. Um, but it's available to add any income, so it doesn't matter what you put on the FAFSA. You're going to get the loan. It's just a matter of you got to fill it out for it to be offered. Got it. So that's, so what the way it works, the way generally financial aid works is you fill out the FAFSA and that generate in the past that generated what was called your EFC and your EFC was which stood for your expected family contribution. That was about what they thought the family should be responsible for. Okay. So if you are looking at a state school and you earn 110, 120,000, somewhere in that neighborhood, your EFC might come in at 25,000. Well, if the school costs 25,000, so 25,000 minus 25,000 means you don't have any need for that school. Right. That same family looks at a private school at 60,000, well 60,000 minus 25,000. Now you have a need of 35,000. Okay. Now so that's the basics, right? So the, the whole reason we fill out the forms is to calculate what used to be called the EFC, which is now changing to what we would call the SAI. Hmm. Which stands for student aid index. Okay. And the reason they're changing it is because in the past, if your expected family contribution was 25000 and you were going to that private school, a lot of times the schools would gap you and say, yes, your expected family contribution is 25000 but we cost sixty, and we can only give you twenty. So if the cost sixty minus 20 then your bill says 40 And you say, well, wait a minute. My EFC was 25 Why do I have to pay 40 Right. And that's because when the college did the math, they couldn't afford to give you all you deserve. So yeah, they say, right. yes, you deserve, you deserve more, but we don't have but, it. So, right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so unfortunately we're going to gap you. So okay. too many people were relying on the EFC and having that discussion I just had. So they changed the name right. to the student aid index. Oh, okay. So it's a little more just it technical information. <laughs> it, it functions the same, but now it doesn't generate an expectation of, 
Oh, that's right. what I'm going to have to pay for college. Got it. It's an indicator of about how much you might have to pay for college. But if the student, you know, some colleges will do a better job of meeting your needs than others. So, hmm. and then state schools would be another great example of that most state schools don't have, a, you know, they can give you the Pell Grant, they can give you the, the federal aid, but after that, they don't have much to give up. Right. So that's one big change is that they're completely changing the name. So that's okay. going to come as a shock to a lot of parents of, well, what, what's this SAI student aid index and you know, where did the EFC go? Especially if you've had right. some kids. I was going to say, if you're in the middle of this and one child, it says one thing. And when it says another, that would be very confusing. <laughs> right. And then the other big change is not just changing the name, but they're changing how the formula works. Oh, so it's okay. a little more generous than it used to be for, for most people. But then mm-hmm. there's some people where it's going to be even more generous. And then there's one group, unfortunately, that's going to lose out. And the group that loses out is families that had multiple college students in school at the same time. Really? So if you had triplets in college, you would, in the past, you'd calculate your EFC and then divide it by three kids. So if your EFC was $50,000 and you, you know, you don't qualify for aid at a state school, unless, but if you had three, well, 50,000 divided by three is 16,000. Well, now $25,000 school minus 16. Now you qualify for aid, at least alone at the local state school because you had three at once. Whereas if you only have one, you don't qualify. Got it. That divide by is going away. So now even if you have multiple students, you don't divide by the number of students. Now Hmm. to make up for that, they gave you a lot of other interesting benefits. And so I guess for, so families out there that already have kids in college, you want to make sure you fill out the FAFSA again, even if you got a bad answer last time, the rules oh, have changed. So it reapplies every year? That, yes. Or you can, you, okay. You're right. You apply for the FAFSA every year. And so the FAFSA coming up this fall, which would apply for kids going to school in, in 2024. So if you have a high school, if you have a college senior, you're done. You don't have to worry about it. But if you have a junior that's going to be right. a sophomore that's going to be going back to college, well, the formulas have changed. So I, there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are going to get a pleasant surprise where, oh, all of a sudden I qualified because they've put in some rules now that say you automatically get a maximum Pell Grant if you have this type of income and you automatically get a minimum Pell Grant if you have that kind of income. Got it. So all of a sudden families that didn't qualify will qualify. Now that's not everybody across the board. Right. And I could spend an hour trying to get into the intricacies of it, but you know, so you can, like, you can dig into, you know, so a lot of people say, should I figure that, should I fill out the FAFSA? And it's like, well, no, you can really understand how it works. And if you're confident that it's a waste of time after figuring out how it works, then don't bother. But the amount of time it's going to take to figure out how it works is probably more time than just filling it out. And submitting <laughs> just, it. So, okay. so your advice is to just fill it out. <laughs> just fill it out uh, is the simple solution. It, like right. I said, if you don't want, you know, again, some people have privacy concerns. They'd rather not right, exactly. give that information to, to strangers. And some people, you know, have a hard time, you know, can't do it for whatever reason and they're frustrated by it. So there's mitigating circumstances for many. But the bottom line is, even if you filled it out last year and the answer was no, this year you might get a different right. answer. Right. And generally, if you have a lot of large families, we'll get better answers. Um, families that are receiving child support 
they're changing how child support works. So that might help oh, okay. give you a dramatically better answer. You know, so it's a couple thousand more generous for most people, you know, two to 5,000 better across the board. And then if you're receiving child support, it could jump up to 10 or 20,000. Wow. If you're saving a lot uh, at work, um, there's a very important change around how much you're saving in retirement. In the past, they would ask you how much did you put in your 401ks, your IRAs, everything, and they would add that back into your income. Oh, yes. Yeah. So if you earned $100,000 and you're saving 50000 for retirement because you're very aggressively saving right now, one of the questions they ask is how much did you save for retirement? You save 50000 So they add it right back in and you go right back to 100000 So it's a great thing to do for retirement and it's neutral for college. Right. Well, this change also, one of the things it does is it doesn't ask how much you contributed Wow. Per se, it looks hmm. at your tax return. And if it doesn't show right. up on the tax return, then they don't know about it. So if you're saving at work as a typical W-2 employee, oh, putting money yeah. in a 401k so it comes or out before B, that's in, yeah. It, it comes out before it ever gets to your tax return. For those families, all of a sudden, that $20,000 that you used to add back in because you were saving it for college, you're not going to add back in. That's so that could give know. you a dramatically different answer. Right. Now, for the self-employed that aren't using a plan directly at work, well, that does show up on your tax return. Right. There's a certain exactly. line that self-employed will put it on there. So the colleges will, you know, so the FAFSA will know about that line. Right. And they will, add, for them, they will add it back in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and again, is that fair? I don't know, but that's the way it works. Yep. Right. Um, you know, so the, that's a big change. How child support is a big change. Um if you have large families now, there's a, you know, so if you have like four kids, I think it's a roughly $75,000. If your AGI is below 75000 all of a sudden you get a free pass. You get a maximum Pell and your EFC or now SAI goes to zero. Okay. And it doesn't matter what your assets are. Hmm. So huh. there's a lot of planning around there's- if you've got the ability to adjust your AGI hmm. and depending and, and there's always been this opportunity, but now it's a bigger opportunity. It's a bigger one okay. where it's like, okay, well, if I cross this line, you know, if I'm this or less, I get a great, I get a free Pell grant. If I, if I'm this or less, I get a tax deduction. If I'm this or less, <laughs> I get this. And you, so there's, there's lines all over the place. Wow. Depending on, married or single and how many kids mm-hmm. and all kinds of things. So, and what's going on in your state. And that's where, ah, uh, yes. Yeah. I think for a lot of families, they don't come to you and say, you know, you missed it by a thousand dollars. You know, if you just had a thousand dollars less in your taxes, we could have given you so much more. They don't say that. So most people right. don't even know how close they were. Yeah. And that's, you know, and I think that's where planning can come into. It's like, Oh, now that I know this, Right, can, exactly. You can I kind can of reallocate so. things and and be set right. set up better for that process. Right. Awesome. So, and again, in some families, there's just no way you're going to get any need based aid, no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm not. I don't want to exclude those people. There are things you can do. It's just not need based aid. Now it's merit aid, saving, investing, tax planning. Right. You know, there's one strategy, need based aid, that's not going to work for you. Therefore all the 25 other strategies need to become a little bit more important. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's a unique approach for for each individual family and um, probably even every student because um, our our students graduate at different times in our own financial yep. um, journey and and so just being prepared along the way. Well, thank you so much, Brad. This has been such an enlightening conversation. I I normally don't talk finances, so <laughs> my head is is about full right now. <laughs> but I know you've given a lot of great information. Um, what's your website the, so people can find you to connect with you more? Right. Yeah. So I'm at tamingthehighcostofcollege.com, and that's where um, again we've got a number of free resources, scholarship guide for busy parents that talks about. What we talked about earlier about, you know, private schools getting bigger scholarships and there's outside scholarships and there's, you know, all, the, you know, so something I've, quick for parents to just get up to speed quickly so you can, you know, do it well. And then we've got cost, you know, the cost of colleges by state and income. So there's a number of charts you can get there. Awesome. Um, I've got a podcast by the same name, Taming the High Cost of College, which is available wherever you get your podcast, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and a number of other, you know, college money report where you can put in statistics and a couple of colleges and it'll estimate your cost based on your grades and financial situation. And awesome. it'll help you project both need-based and merit-based aid and give you a feel for that. So, and many articles and, and then if people want to, there's phone number there, or you can just reach out with an email or a contact us. And if you want to learn more. Great. Well, well, thank you for all you do, Brad, and um, just for kind of taking some of the um, the questions and uh, and I guess the unknowns. As a parent coming into this, it's just you know you, you feel like you're entering a whole new world, even if you have been doing some financial planning when when we start approaching college. So I appreciate you um, helping parents out and coming alongside them and and helping them to navigate this this difficult um, process that they they find themselves in when they're trying to get their child into college and off on, you know, launched in the right direction. (laughs) So, yeah. 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 And so I just want to encourage you all to um, to reach out or to look at um, Brad's website. Again, it's tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. And I took a look at it. It's 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 you have it sectioned off really nice. It's very easy to find everything on there. So um, so definitely check out Brad's website and see what else you can find out and connect with him if um, you have further questions. Um, him and his team, which I've been talking to the, the gals from your team, and they're they're just super responsive um, and and delightful to work with. So, um, yeah. so appreciate thank that. You. Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to thank all of you for joining us today on this broadcast. Um, we are wrapping up now our week-long, or not week-long, month-long of um, high school pathways. And next month, we are going to dive into nonverbal um learning. So teaching a student who is nonverbal, um, which has become more and more prevalent, especially since um, COVID. A lot of parents have started bringing kids home that they would have never considered homeschooling in the past. And so we get a lot of questions from parents on how do I teach a student who doesn't always communicate back to me. And that is a tough one. So we've been searching out some resources for you. And I've got um, an amazing guest. Um, Next week, we're going to talk about just some some different things that you can do to um, to to teach nonverbal students as far as strategies and um, and 
different things that that are involved with with that. And she actually writes her own curriculum and teaches her own son at home. So she's got a lot of really um, applicable ways that you can do that. So you'll want to join us back then. So so we'll see you all again back here next Tuesday, same time, same place. And um, thanks for joining us. And again, thanks, Brad. Um, I appreciate you um, taking time out of your busy schedule to share with us this week. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Bye, everybody. We'll see you then. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on this podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. This has been Empowering Homeschool Conversations with Peggy Ployer. What do you do when the world around you is falling apart? It's amazing to me how many people are breathing air. They're going about their business and doing the things you're supposed to do. But if you really ask them, they know that on the inside, they are spiritually and emotionally and relationally dead. If we're not careful, all of us can experience that death. When what we need to do, even as the world around us is falling apart, we need to learn how to march when it would be easier to stay where we are and die. Join me each week on the March or Die show as we discuss that and so much more.